everyone, I'm Aram Okumuf and you're listening to the Product Innovation Show. Every week, my guests share their stories and wisdom on how to ship a great product and what prevents companies from doing that. Today, I'm joined by Camille Gorgantini, a former head of product at Sparrow, a home sharing platform and community. Camilla thinks that product managers are unicorn personalities and good ones share a number of personality traits which makes it more about attitude than hard teachable skills. So I'm excited to unpack that. Prior to uh, Sparrow, she worked at companies like 500px, Felix Health, and a little bit about her, she loves taking pictures. So Camilla, an absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, thank you. Um, so let me jump into the first question I have is like when I had a chance to connect with you um, before in our pre-planning call and even now, um, one thing I noticed is that you you love smiling. So I've, I'm sure you have a lot of you have a ton of positivity right now. So I wanted to ask you, what are you excited about in your life right now? Right now, very specifically, I'm very excited that I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. Uh, it's been almost two years since I've gone anywhere. Pandemic, of course. And tomorrow I'm taking off to go to the West Coast, which is a place that I love. I lived there before, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, but more on a professional note, um, I am just very excited about a shift that I've been seeing in the world of work. I think the pandemic has brought up a lot of things that made companies think about how to pay more attention to the, you know, how to bring and attract talent and retain talent and how to work better together. So uh, because I have a huge interest in just over, overall operations and I actually have a, a diploma in human uh, human resources management. I'm really curious to see uh, the changes that we brought about because of the pandemic. Awesome. Um, and so now, what what are you what are you doing with your time? What are you uh, <laughs> learning? What are you uh, reading about? Right now, I I'm actually reading. I'm listening to a book called Numbers Don't Lie. Um, that's just very interesting knowledge about everything in the world, from like climate change and steel production to like why people are as tall as they are and all everything associated with it. But for me, what I've been trying to do is really spend time and look at my career up to now and make a decision on where I want to go with it. So because of where where I've been working in the past three and a half years and what I've been doing, I decided to objectively look at what I'm good at and the things that I can offer and then go from there, uh, which brought me to really think about the products that I built, the companies I worked for, um, and I decided to teach myself how to use Webflow so I can create my own website and I want to create also like a product portfolio. Before I had a website for myself, for my photography business, uh, but now it's just like, how do I tell people, uh, Camilo the PM and my story behind that? So that's what I've been working on lately. Awesome. Cool. Um... First question I have is something I, I kind of touched upon already, but you have, I think, a strong perspective in terms of what it takes to be a product manager, and you think it's more of a personality type at the end of the day than and, and less of a skill. Uh, it's kind of you know a big statement there. Uh, just wanted to make sure I got that right. Yes. <laughs> um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with that perspective? I think for me, it's been very much it's just a hypothesis that i have de developed solely based on my experience with pms right now and i am a very like curious person and every single person that i've met that works in product management that has experience in in the industry it seems 
that there is a common thread of the type of people that they are. They are usually very passionate. They're very curious. They share some things that I don't necessarily believe can be taught. I think curiosity is like, as kids, we're curious. We're always looking for, you know, asking why all the time. Kids there can be so annoying. <laughs> they want to know everything. And eventually you kind of lose that. But I think that if you think about a mindset of growth and, you know, a, a, a fixed mindset, if I, I would be pressed to challenge that if we actually did some research on product managers, and I mean good product managers that excel at their job, that do it well, there there's probably some 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 similarities. So I was actually trying to think about a way that I could tap into my network and maybe do a survey to see like, what are your, like use the uh, standardized personality test and see if there's any relationship with the good people that I know their personalities and just overall how they do product management. That would be, it would be lovely to, 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 to kind of validate this hypothesis at some point. <laughs> and so like, other than being curious and asking why, what are, what are those defining personality traits that you think really uh, create a great PM? I think, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily a skill. Like I said, one thing that I've noticed is that people who do product management well, they understand that things don't, don't exist in a vacuum, right? So if we were to think about systems thinking and just understanding that one action here has an impact there and it's about the ecosystem more than it is about an individual thing. So I think it, it's just a way to see the world. I would, I would think that maybe product managers are passionate about how the world functions. It's not just about technology in itself. They want to know more about nature and I don't know anything. And it's just like underlying curiosity for me kind of drives that because if you're curious to know how things work, you will be curious to ask about their impact, which eventually becomes like a, a domino effect. And it's just, I always joke that like product management for me is a way of life. I'm always just like, why am I doing this? Who am I doing for? Even if I'm just like <laughs> writing a a birthday card like who is this birthday card for <laughs> you know what i mean and it's like you can technically apply that in every aspect of your life and and benefit from it and it's a lot of the times we don't we automatically do something and go a certain direction without really questioning it and i think pms are just very good at, at just pausing and asking that question before moving forward and wasting any time or effort before they make a decision or or go forward with the change Interesting. In, in regards to how you became a PM or, you know, even along the lines of like, where do you go about learning um, the skills or, you know, the mindset of what's needed to be a successful PM? Like I've recently come across the fact that it's not taught in the inner schools, it's not taught in university, it's not a credential. It's only really available in private uh, institutions that you could go get those type of certifications. And so, like, if you were to go and teach product management, um, what would that look like to you? I think to me that that's a hard question for me to answer in the sense that it's just like, one, I believe that some of the skills that a PM needs come from experience. You know, I am an advocate for data driven decisions, but at the end of the day, gut also helps a lot because if you've seen and done it many times you eventually know how to get there faster so i always 
struggled with the fact that product management is not necessarily something that, you know, you can go to university and get a degree in product management and out of it, go and get a job in product management. For me specifically, I had a career 14 years long prior to getting into product management in technology where I worked in customer facing roles. I worked with marketing, sales, customer support, operations, project management, and I was able to get this comprehensive systems view, understanding the ecosystem of how businesses are run. And then because I had a curiosity and an interest in design and engineering, it kind of made sense for me to get into product management and technology. So for me, teaching product management, it's not about teaching product management. It's about teaching all of the little blocks of things because we need to be generalists. We need to be able to understand all of the different areas and deep dive on certain verticals, depending on the, the work or the company that you're working for. But at the end of the day, you have to have that understanding of, of the ecosystem. So I don't necessarily, I think that right now there has been a change in the sense that there's more um, content available for PMs. There's a lot of people doing coaching and mentorships and there's different boot camps available. But even from my personal experience, before I became a PM, I took a bootcamp course at 12 weeks and I, I look back at it and everything that I have in my notes, it's like, it was so much content. It was like, it was impossible to actually get something that I could use out of it because I ended up working for a company that the PM role there didn't really match what I was taught. And it's mm. so unique depending on the company that you work for. And also because companies mislabel product owner versus product manager versus there's they don't even understand what they're recruiting for. So it becomes at the end of the day, your curiosity needs to drive the way you learn. And I think it's really about building a network of people that you trust, that you can rely on, and also being critical and aware of where you are in the stage of your career. Because it's very easy you know, to get carried away if you're trying to get into it and you want to consult everybody or just take everybody's word at face value. And sometimes that's not the case. There's going to be noise. There's going to be a lot of content over there that it's not necessarily useful. And being critical of where you're putting your time and money to learn product management, I think it's the important part of it. Uh, that's a great point. As a as a uh, product manager in training or somebody who's you know new to product management, what are those things that they should really focus in on and you know own in on earlier on in their career before they you know, go and tackle other aspects of, 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 um, of being a successful product manager. What, what would you say in those early days you really need to like understand and, um, fine tune as a skill set, as a skill set, or, you know, as a personality. I, for me, one thing that I think it's important is understanding, like if you're, if you're, you need, I would say that you need to pick an example. Let's say if you're trying to learn, look at a company that you admire, a product that you use and start breaking it down. Like, Break it down into why are you using? What do you think that they are doing to get you to use this product? And start analyzing how these things are connected. So, one thing that I thought it was really interesting just yesterday, I was I went on on a company's website, and when I logged, like when I landed on their website, they actually placed the logo of the company that I was working for on their hero image, and I was just like, how are they doing that? And I thought it was a really interesting way to like get me to want to buy their product, right? And it's just like understanding what it takes and for a customer, for a user to use a product. How is the company run? How do they make money? Like what are the limitations that you will have as a product manager? And what is like your, like 
what is your goal there as a product manager? What are they hiring you potentially for? So I would say that for them to start is just take some time to do some case studies. You know, I think, for example, a great idea would be what is a product that you use that doesn't work well because you have to build a product sense. If you are not the kind of person that you're using a product and say, this makes no sense and we need to fix this button or why is this broken? <laughs> you're not there yet, right? So it's just like, but it's also hard because good products make it so easy for you to use and not question it that it might not be easy for you to put yourself in the place where you will like question or learn. Um, so I think back to curiosity, like just start looking at how companies are running their businesses. What are they using in terms of tools, their strategies and just read. Like I, most of my learning was just me spending hours and hours just looking for resources and then trying to relate that content to my own personal experience. Okay, interesting. And what where were your your go to places for those resources when you were trying to get uh, ideas or problem solve around? I actually started with my network. I was just like, who that I know that works in tech that could get me in contact with somebody that worked in tech. And very early on, I actually got on the phone with about ten different people that worked either as product managers or as product designers um, and started asking them just like, how did you get to where you are? And from there, I started making notes on the things that interested me. And, you know, some people are just like, yeah, I have a human computer interaction degree or I took a course in this other place. And at the, at the time, I also had an interest in the UX design. I was like, oh, maybe I should do the daily UI project. And then I started like registering for these websites. There are just like most companies, even the companies that are trying to sell you a product, let's say Pando, AppQs, they all have like libraries of content on what is product management, how to become a product manager. And it's simple. It's there. It's in it's accessible. And again, it's just like find a trusted source and and just try to get as much as you can out of it. So Honestly, the world is your oyster these days with so much content online. And I think places like this, like Crowdlinker's YouTube channel that is having conversations with actual product people to give you insight on what you should go and learn. Um, I think those are the places that I would go to. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you we, we talked about this briefly before, but you mentioned that with your prior career in what you were doing before, and when you looked at what you were doing as a product manager in one of your first few roles, you realized that a lot of the stuff that you are doing as a product manager in your day-to-day -day tasks were things that you've been doing for a long time. Um, but you just didn't know what it was at the time. Like, what's this called? Um, yeah. Product management is still kind of, in many ways, still kind of new for a lot of people to wrap their head around it. But what was that kind of moment for you that you really un understood um, what a product manager does i think i think it was quite recent actually um i think that for the past three years i've been operating under the assumptions that i made based on the companies that i was working for but when i decided to take some time off and really analyze my career i was just like wait a second i ran my own businesses i had two different companies at some point i've been hired as a contractor to come in analyze you know, what they were doing, find the, demo the target demographic, build a service, implement it, like iterate on it, measure the impact. And I was like, wait a second, I've been doing product management pretty much my entire career, but not in a technology company. It's just like, 
And honestly, if I look at anybody that has ever run their own business, a sole proprietor that has to figure it out, what are they going to do? Let's say photography. If you're going to be a business owner and you're going to have your photography studio and who are you going to sell to? Are you going to be a wedding photographer, an event photography? What kind of photos are they looking for? And it's just like a perfect example. When I was a photographer early on in my career, I was very touchy to the fact if a client didn't like my photo, I would take it personally. I would be like, oh my God, it's not my client. I don't want them because they don't like my work. And I was like, wait a second. If I think about what they want, if I want to make money and this is an income <laughs> that I need to rely on, I need to sell what they want and not what I want. And I think there is a difference between artists and people who use art as an income base. And it, you know, there's overlaps. But I understand really early on with photography that it was just really selling to the people that wanted what I was selling, but also giving them what they needed, right? And it's just like, it, it, but that understanding was very blurry to me until I sat down and I said, okay, I went to this company and I worked for them for nine months and I did this, this, and this. I'm like, literally, this is what I do as a product manager. And then I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I've been the product manager for very long, but the problem is, Product management, like you said, it's still fairly new. And I would say that it's not necessarily new, it's just misunderstood and it's seen as a glamorous, trendy thing that everybody wants to be because there's money in it, there's demand. But it has been there all along. It's just that we might have called it different things at different times. And product management is a very technology specific term. Um, so I would say for anybody trying to get into it, don't be afraid of really looking at what you've done and just figuring out the transferable skills of what you, that you have that apply to product management and then expand in the areas that you have gaps. No, that's a great answer. And it's very true. Even what you said about really identifying with like, uh, understanding what it would take for your clients to buy your product is still something, unfortunately, these days, a lot of companies think that they know what they need to sell, but they don't speak to enough people to really warrant their decisions. So yeah, yeah, very, very true. A fact. Um, next set of questions I have is something I'm, I'm really curious to get, uh, your thoughts on. And, you know, from your prior experience, you mentioned that, well, today, a lot of companies build products and they really focus on the the users, like the external users, the paying customers, the businesses, the consumers, whoever they are in terms of how do we onboard them? How do we keep them happy and stuff like that? But very seldomly do a lot of companies really think about, well, hold on a second. Our team, um, they're uh, a user persona as well, and they need to have a product that they're going to be happy using with our own customers. And, you know, Amazon for me comes to mind because from what I understand, they have a printout somewhere uh, that says delivery people are replaceable or everyone is, re is replaceable. So, I mean, quite discouraging as a, <laughs> as a person working on Amazon. But, you know, it's a, it's a, I think it's an important topic because oftentimes the user persona of uh, an employee is missed out when it comes to creating a product or uh, thinking about what it would take to keep that persona happy. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. So... I actually love that you brought Amazon's printout as an example because I have no, uh, you know, I have no expectations that if I leave a company, the, the business is going to fail because I am like I know I'm replaceable, and I think that we should live life knowing that life goes on. Like once we're not longer in a particular place, things are going to keep going. But I think that the difference from how I look at like 
yeah, you should care about your customers and make sure that they are happy and do everything that you can to have customers to maintain the business. But here's here's what I really think needs to be a focus need to be put on is that if the employees are the ones providing the service and if you say you say like okay i'm only going to hire one person where i know that i need three people to do this job but i'm just going to put this one person to do the job of three people right and then you don't offer onboarding you don't like if they go on vacation nobody else can do their job there is no essentially like knowledge sharing if that person leaves yes they can be replaced but it's going to take you much longer (laughs) to replace that person. And again, back to what I was saying early on in the conversation, just generally the domino impact. One person leaving the company is not going to fail the business, but it will eventually create a a toxic cycle that catches up with the company eventually. And I think I actually seen that happen. I seen a company that I've worked for that when I joined, they were starting to, um, they let go a bunch of people and then they got acquired and then, a bunch of other people left because the acquisition and then eventually what happened was every new employee because they i don't believe they were doing the best job that they could with their hiring practices it's like a 50 50 right if you're not doing good with your hiring you might get a good person you might get a bad person if you get a good person if they're smart enough and they're paying attention in six months they're gonna be like i'm out <laughs> right and then the bad people are just like oh i can coast there's no consequence to my actions i'm just gonna sit here so eventually over time you end up with a with a company or a team that is not good to drive you to the to where you want to be as a business and eventually we'll catch up with you but the problem is we only notice the things when we lose them and when it's too late right and it's just like yeah it's not a problem today but i think companies need to really figure out a way to think like maybe 80% of the focus is for today, but 20% is for the future. Like how do you address long-term impact of your practices for employees? What are the tools that they're using? Because, you know, like you said, like some of the tools that employees use are not the best. And they're like, oh yeah, they just, they'll figure it out. They will, they'll, they'll figure out how to use it on their own. You know what I mean? They'll get over it. And then eventually it adds up. Right. People like you can only exploit people to a certain extent. And I think the pandemic has made this very obvious. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's just like, don't push people so far that they will leave. Yes, you can definitely replace them. But what is the impact in your business in the long run? Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, um, you know, there's a whole topic that's going about right now, you know, worldwide around the whole great resignation. I don't know if you've heard about this. Yes. Right. Um, which goes into my next question um with everything happening in the pandemic you know that um that came to be a lot of organizations have started losing a lot of their top talent by in many ways not being accommodating enough or offering less than ideal working conditions Mm -hmm. um what should companies be thinking about differently it's a big question and Humans are complicated. (laughs) So right away, I'm going to say, I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution, but I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. One thing that has been on my mind recently was companies have a normal process of, you know, interviewing, they go through the interview process and out of nine companies I interviewed with at some point in my life, I was around the same time I was interviewing with nine different ones. Only one of them asked me 
to provide feedback on their hiring process. Mm. One out of nine. Out of most companies I've worked for, I've had one or two exit interviews, and most of them were done in the incorrect way, not by a third party neutral person. It was like, it's it's pretty much like, oh, you're gone, we wash your hands, it's done. Like, we don't wanna know about it. It's like, you don't wanna learn uh, what you could do better. And I think these are the things that companies need to be looking at. It's like, I would love for companies to implement a process that even if you didn't hire somebody, tell me all of the shitty things that I did in this yeah. interview process, right? It's just like, how can we make it better for the next time? But right now it's just like, you get ghosted, you get no responses at all. And then people are wondering. And then to me, those are red flags right away. I usually don't tend to continue on interview processes with the companies that from the get go are already not doing well on their hiring processes. So I think it's really just think about even your hiring process as a product, right? Like, what are you looking for? Who are you hiring for? Like, what are the important people that need to be here? I've seen so many companies that will do so many rounds of interviews, include everybody because they want everybody to have an opinion, but there's no standardized process. People don't even know how to ask the right questions. And I think I've always said that every company I worked for, it starts with hiring. If you don't get that right and you're not hiring the right people, you it's a recipe for disaster. And secondarily, it's like, you cannot expect new employees to hit the ground running. (laughs) Every job will take anywhere between three to six months for somebody to understand, even just like know what they need to do there. And I usually tell new employees, it's just like, forget about the, the actual work, figure out how the company works. How are people interacting with each other? What what are the things you need to know how to get work done? Because some companies are very clear about processes and other companies is just like, oh, you need to know the right person to get something done. So focus on that, focusing on understanding the people, how work is actually done and start like challenging documentation. Like where is this written? Where is that process documented? Because companies also don't spend enough time on that. And I think that again, back to the pandemic, we are in a social media crazy world that, you know, quick te- texting is all we do. We forgot how to actually hand write and document things with like that makes sense. Documentation is, will be crucial for the future of work in a remote environment. And people really need to think back on how that impacts even knowledge transfer within teams. If somebody's not available, can I read a manual and figure out what I need to do next? So. Like I said, there's so many different areas. I can probably write a book <laughs> on different things, but it comes, it starts with hiring, hiring mm-hmm. practices and onboarding new employees. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question um, now, which I think yeah. I'll get to know in terms of how you would approach it. But, you know, say after your uh, period of time that you're trying to figure out what you want to do next, you want to create a new company. Say it's some, um, I don't know. I know you're a, f- a photographer and so maybe it's a photo studio um, okay. and you're going to be hiring people. How would you go about esta- establishing your company culture? Say it's a digital product. First and foremost, for me, has always something I stood by. I hire for attitude and not for skill. Okay. <laughs> you can't teach attitude and it's back to personality traits. Somebody that has a, me- a negative mindset that is not interested in learning, you can't get out of them what you potentially need, but any skills that are teachable, the so-called hard skills, 
can be taught. And it's just like plan for that. So a perfect example was uh, when I was at Felix Health, it was time for me to expand my team. And I was like, I need to bring a PM into the team. And I was just like, do I need a PM? Do I need a associate product manager? Do I need a senior product manager? And I started thinking, I was like, wait a second, we're such a new company. We have such specific needs for what we're doing here. And this role will probably not be the standard product manager. This person's gonna have to do a, a little bit of everything because they're still a fairly small team. And I came across a bunch of candidates and at the end of the day, I had two choices in terms of the scoring that I used to, to categorize them. They were literally tied on the scores for the, the skills. But then when I looked at it, one was a senior person and the other one was somebody right out of university. But that person right out of university had done co-op in four different companies that had project management, agile coach, product management, they had done a little bit of everything, of all of the little things that I needed, but just for a short period of time. But what showed to me is that they were willing to try different things to really understand where they wanted to go. So when I was talking to them during the interview process, I didn't so much care about how much she had done product management in, 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 the, in their career. It's just like, okay, are you willing to learn? Are you ready to mold this role to what we need and evolve with it? And again, it's back to attitude. Um, I would rather hire somebody that is fresh out of school that maybe has no work experience at all, but it's willing to put in the work to figure it out and be curious about it than come somebody that is not a nice person that knows how to do everything, but yeah. doesn't work well with the team. A hundred percent. It's kind of very similar to us. We hire for kind of grit and um, attitude over experience. And yeah. it, it really, if somebody's passionate about it, they'll learn any skill. At the end of the day, like it's all teachable. But yeah. personality is really hard to to hire for. So yeah. I totally agree with you. <laughs> um, actually, I wanted to go back to an earlier question. Uh, in, in terms of like internal product tools that team members use, have mm -hmm. you seen people, have you seen any companies that you work with do it good? Or has it all been always a disaster? <sighs> I will have to say that so far has always been a disaster. And I'll tell you why in my experience has been the case that it has been a disaster. No fault of the comp company in particular. I think it was two out of the three companies that I've worked for were very early stage startups. They had nothing. Uh, mm -hmm. One of them didn't even have a logo when I joined. There was no name for the company when I joined. We were working on an interim name. So a lot of that, it was a process that we were learning the tools that we needed based on the team that we had, the needs of that team. So it wasn't done right, quote unquote, because we're still building it out. Right. But the first one, the first company, which was 500px, when I joined shortly after was when the acquisition happened. And because a lot of the people that held the knowledge of how things were done, mm -hmm. where there were the administrators of certain tools, a lot of them left. And then mm -hmm. suddenly nobody stopped to think like, how do we change the tools to make sure that, or train these people on the right tools to make sure that we can get the job done. And a perfect example was, I remember one day coming into the office and suddenly being told that we were using Jira. I had never heard about Jira before. I, we were using Asana. And then suddenly we have Jira, we have multiple projects, we have duplicate tickets everywhere. And I remember one day being like, how am I supposed to maintain 17 different backlogs? <laughs> <laughs> because everybody's creating their own, right? Yeah. So it's like, unfortunately, my experience has not been necessarily a good one 
in the sense that I haven't worked in the optimal you know, setup, but it has given me so much insight on what not to do. <laughs> so what I'm looking for is that, especially now that I'm contemplating my next move, who am I going to work for next? It's just like, do they know? Like, do they know what to use at least? And even if they don't have it implemented, do they get like, do, do they get it? <laughs> yeah, do they understand <laughs> the importance to be of there, it? Right? For people to do their job right. So yeah. it's, it's an interesting problem because product managers will be the first ones to be like, let's add some new tool to solve this product. But that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I feel like, though, it's only the larger companies that have internal products um, that, you know, team members use. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. smarter startups, even scale-ups, some of them just they don't have sometimes the bandwidth or the, you know, the knowledge in terms of how do I build out a software that can stitch all these things together? Like, you know, so like, it's always like low, low on the priority list. Yeah. But you're saying, you know, and what I hear is that that's obviously the biggest misconception that uh, a leadership has. It is. And I think that in the sense, even the way you said it, it's just like they don't have internal tools. And the assumption I would make based on what you said is that the company would build the tool for the internal team. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Hmm. I think you can do anything with Excel. (laughs) You're getting at a very, very, very minimum level. You could be a PM and run a product team on Excel if you wanted to. And as long as your team understands the process, the workflow, people maintain it. And they have a set of agreed rules on how to, you know, run a product team on Excel. That's it. The tool doesn't really matter. It's like don't kill the messenger. The tool is just a tool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like again, everything I do, I relate back to my photography uh, background. It's like I used to be asked all the time, like, which camera do you prefer, Canon or Nikon? I'm like, it doesn't matter. If it takes a picture, that's all I care about, <laughs> right? The good, the right camera is the camera I have in my hand, but. If you don't know how to use it or you don't train the people to use it right, it doesn't really matter. So I think that even if small companies do not have the bandwidth to build their own internal tools or to pay for more expensive systems, they just need to think about who is going to use it, how they're going to use it, and how are we going to agree on the process on how to use this. It might be as simple as a two-page manual or a 30-page document on how your processes work but that's the start it just needs we just need to have clarity on what the expectations are how is it going to be used and so then every time you get a new employee you don't have ad hoc have to think about oh I'm, i have to train this person on this process because nobody knows and it's not documented anywhere right and it's back to documentation it's back to just having a set of rules that everybody knows and agrees to i love it it's it's so true and it's um i think any leader at any company should should listen to this and you know start <laughs> thinking about a perspective of their team member shoes on a day-to-day basis so how do i yeah. make their lives easier sure. um a couple more questions camilla um one of them is around you know the right amount of balance you know you know being a pm right now is quite overwhelming and we've talked about this now already in this yeah. episode but it's overwhelming in terms of like where do you get resources who you should speak to and stuff like that but what's your balance between doing versus taking courses which one do you think is like i don't know more important or honestly i think it's it really depends again where you are in your career if you're early on i think doing is going to take much longer than if you start you know taking courses and learning uh, 
from other people that have done it before. It's just, it's going to speed up your process of learning. And then you're going to start then, oh, when you come across that particular situation in your work environment, you're like, oh, yes, I, I was thought about that. I was thought about this. But the thing is right now, like I love reading. I, like I said, I mentioned to you before in our conversations, I have like million books that I've started, but I haven't finished. And I think that one thing that I love that I seen recently on LinkedIn, people started to share uh, a number of resources for product managers, but specifically based on like leadership type of product management uh, books, uh, product discovery, like different things, different categories. And it's just like, okay, where do I have gaps? If I were a PM trying to learn, it's like, okay, I understand overall what product management is and how a product team should function, but I am not so great with frameworks or understanding how to run a sprint or mm. how to make sure that we are doing continuous discovery, for example. So I think just finding the right, you know, con to context and content for what you need to learn. And it's just like, it's becoming more obvious because this is coming up. People are talking about it, but it wasn't the case three years ago when I got into product management. I had to literally get into like bug people on LinkedIn and stalk them and be like, can I get on a call or yeah. can we go for coffee and pick your brain about something? And now it's so much easier, but at the end of the day, you also need to address, like be aware of where you're at and what your needs are. For me, like I would say data, is a gap that I have. I, I, I have a huge interest and focus on UI product design and user like experience because I come from a customer facing and I ran my own businesses before. But when it comes to data, like knowing how to do integrations or even more technical things such as APIs and all kinds of other things that I could learn as a PM just to get me on the same level with engineering. Um, those are the things that I'm going to look to learn. And that's why I'm teaching myself Webflow so I can have conversations with designers yeah. or web developers that at least I know what they're talking about. No, that's, that's, that's a good one too. I think to pick up the whole no code, low code space is really picking up. And yeah, I think a lot of organizations of all sizes are really starting to look at that as a way to save time, you know, budgets, costs, whatever. Costs, yeah. um, so it's huge, huge. So I think it's yeah. a great one to pick up. Um, <laughs> last question um for product people who are going to be listening to this episode what are some of the things that they should stop doing uh or stop worrying about and start doing you know right away two things that come to my mind one and maybe that's just for me because i'm curious and i want to learn everything and if i could go to school forever i would it's just like stop worrying that you don't know enough because you will forever want to learn more. <laughs> like, like I said, we're curious people. We want to know and we want to have the answers. And I remember at some point in my life, I would not even engage in conversations. Like my husband and I used to have fights because he would come home and want to talk about capitalism because he was going to like studying labor in, in university and labor practices. And I was like, I can't have a conversation with you if I haven't read about it, if I don't understand the context. But then I realized that I, if I start asking more questions, <laughs> he could give me that content and then I could actually have a conversation. So it's just like, don't be afraid to just listen. You don't have to always have an answer or know everything. And I think that's something that is inherently part of being a product manager is that you're always told that you have all of the responsibility and none of the autonomy. And we already come into that role with this weight on our shoulders that if something goes wrong, it's our fault. Yeah. And 
lean on your team, lean on other people because a product is not built only by a product manager. And that's the other thing too. It's I've made the mistake many times of just being like, yeah, I'll do everything. I'll pick up the slack if we're falling apart. But it's just like, if I'm always the one putting myself up there, stretching myself so thin and not learning as a team, you gotta stop doing that. And then what you need to start doing more is like I said, it's lean on other people, ask more questions and honestly, just be a good human being. (laughs) Because if you are, if you honestly care for people's well-being, for the people that you work with and the people you're building a product for, that's empathy. That's all. Like at the end of the day, humans just want to connect either with the product, with the experience or with other people. And if you really just focus everything you do with that in mind, it will make you your career as a product manager much more delightful and much more fulfilling. That is so true. Thank you for thank you for <laughs> sharing that. I think that's a great way to um, to conclude our episode. So, Camila, thank you, thank you so much for all this great knowledge that you've uh, shared with us today and our audience. So, I really appreciate it. And for everybody who's going to be listening, stay tuned for. Uh, our next episode on uh, product innovation show. So thanks for your time. Thank you.